This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. At the current rate, COVID-19 is killing around the same number of people every month as HIV, tuberculosis and malaria combined. However, the death toll from these three diseases will have increased as a result of the knock-on impacts from the COVID-19 pandemic due to lockdowns, resources diverted to the new virus and the efforts to contain it, as well as interruptions to life-saving services. Moreover, some of the countries that have been so far been spared the worst of COVID-19 itself may be hardest hit by its economic consequences. This is according to Peter Sands, Executive Director of the Global Fund. Now, the Commission for Gender Equality, Chairperson Tamara Matebula, during a recent television interview with Newsroom Africa, stated that the Basic Education Department is planning to provide condoms in schools, and this is what she had to say to that effect. Commission for Gender Equality is calling uh, not only government, but we are also calling the communities uh, to continue because these shelters, as well as the Tutuzela Care Centers, are mostly in urban areas and not in rural areas. So we are calling everyone, we are calling families to take care of their, um, you know, their family relatives that have passed away uh, to take care of their children, but also, um, you know, neighbors in rural areas. So the support that we can actually advocate for is with the social development, for an example, to look at the fact that there are still some families and mothers that will take children that are uh, have lost a parent or both parents mm-hmm. under their wing. And they must actually get the grant, the social grant, to actually assist them. Now, in carrying on this conversation around the various ways in which the knock-on impact of the COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated the situation as it pertains to the economic consequences of the pandemic. We have been recently bombarded with um, information pertaining to the current statistics that at least 23,000 young girls between the ages of 10 and 19 are pregnant and at least 1,300 new HIV infections detected in young girls weekly. Past Possibly pointing towards another pandemic of teenage and HIV pandemic levels in the country. To help us further unpack this conversation, we are joined by the cluster manager from the Seoul City Institute, Mr. Mpo Mpo. Good evening. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the COVID report. Thank you very much for having me and good evening also to your listeners. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the current statistics suggesting that at least 23,000 young girls between the ages of 10 and 19 have been recorded to be pregnant and at least 1,300 new HIV infections detected in young girls weekly. Do these numbers strike any worry within the Seoul City Institute in terms of the potential of heading towards another pandemic of teenage pregnancy and the HIV pandemic? Of course, they strike a serious worry. This is unacceptable based on the fact that here we're speaking only one province, Saudi. Can you imagine if the department were to release numbers from all the provinces, what would we find out? So it is totally unacceptable. We also know how the uh, COVID-19 has also you know, added to these issues. We know it's the glaring evidence how patriarchy or how systemic patriarchy continue to contribute to gender inequality in our country. So this is totally unacceptable. You just touched on it now. So let's talk about it. How do you think the COVID-19 pandemic has revealed the impact of systemic patriarchy on young South African girls who bear the brunt of gender inequality due to this pandemic? And has the COVID-19 pandemic worsened the situation in various instances? 
the pandemic has worsened a situation that has been, I would say, brewing. We've always known that, you know, young women bear the brand of gender inequality in this country. And the pandemic on its own, you know, added to their woes. Remember when we were on lock- level five lockdown, how there were alarming reports of sexual violence and gender-based violence that was meted, you know, on women in general in this country, especially young women uh, between the ages of 10 and 19. The numbers here also show already, if you have 934 unattended cases of digital rape in a country, it tells you how young women and adolescent girls are really, you know, facing challenges in terms of sexual violence, in terms of gender-based violence. And the pandemic has definitely increased their roles because now they are forced to stay at home with families in environments otherwise could have been avoided by them going to school and staying at school for longer time. So during that time, we were at home for longer periods and they were exposed to unscrupulous men who took advantage of them. And like I said, we view this as a very unacceptable situation because when that happened, something could have been done. Indeed. And you mentioned all of the various ways in which this COVID-19 pandemic has exposed the lasting presence of these issues in our societal development. In your opinion, how much of a role do these developments play as a reflection of the overall failed efforts to adequately address um, these issues at the core of the hampering of the development of adolescent girls and young women? Referring to issues such as the lack of condom availability and usage in schools, the still questionable state of improving of sexual and reproductive education for young people. In what ways, in your opinion, have these issues further reflected on the overall failed efforts to adequately address these issues and educate and empower people with the knowledge that they need to address these issues effectively? The whole issues of teenage pregnancy and children between the ages of 10 to 14 delivering babies in our own you know, health facilities on their own are a suicide for anyone watching. So it would be important for government, all the departments to work together. Your Department of Health, your Department of Education, your Department of Social Development, and all other role players to come together and then begin to say, how do we make sure that there is comprehensive sexuality education in our schools? Government talks about it, but now and then we hear our officials sometimes calling it even sex education which then begins to scare, you know, parents to say, now our children will be taught about sex. The right way is sexuality education, which means children at that age are exposed to a lot of information around how do they protect themselves. Should anything happen to them, they are sexually violated, where can they report? What must happen? It is, it is, it is, it is unacceptable that a 10-year-old girl goes to a clinic, for antenatal clinic, and nobody asked them, who made you pregnant? Because we know what the law says, that under 16 children cannot consent to sex. So immediately you see a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, it means there is statutory rape. And somebody must do something to investigate it. But there is, you know, departments working, working in, in silos. Your Department of Health will say, 
We don't know what to do when this girl comes in because you are afraid if you confront them, they might never come back for antenatal clinic. And for us as a department, it is important. And we all know it's important. But who is taking accountability? We cannot just leave it like that. Issue of uh, condom distribution goes with condom usage education. So at this rate, we should be making noise and asking that there should be sexuality education in our schools. Children in our schools should be taught around the correct use of condoms and they should be also taught about contraceptives because these are different measures that could help us in curbing the spread of teenage pregnancy. Any young woman who falls pregnant, most of them are likely to drop out of school. Most of them are likely to go, some of them, if they are afraid to show it, they will go to backstreet abortions because there's also an issue that they struggle sometimes when they go to clinics to ask for the termination of pregnancies. So they are always at risk, and that perpetuates the violence that is meted against them by men in general. And unfortunately, the system in this country is like it is perpetuating the situation because there is just no answer to help them. So... We are saying they should be given the right information. They should be taught about all the different types of contraceptives and how they are used so that they make, you know, informed choices around what must happen. And those who are found to be pregnant under the age of 16, somebody must take the fall. Somebody must take accountability and the necessary steps must be taken against them so that we can stop this. I'd like to latch on to what you've just been talking about as far as the role that the school system and the education system has to play in the addressing of the issue of the lack of education around these issues and finding ways to improve this. Can you talk me through the ways in which the Society Institute is engaging schools and the Department of Education to further improve the state of sexual and reproductive education for young people? You mentioned the fact that many parents tend to shy away the moment it becomes apparent to them that sex education is the agenda. So can you talk me through the ways in which the Soul City Institute has been engaging um, schools and the Department of Education to help break the stigma and help uh, find effective ways to carry out this very important education for the children in these schools that need this education to arm themselves with this knowledge to protect themselves from these various issues coming up in their lives. And as far as this stigma that still hovers around this issue, in your opinion, what is the most effective way to address it? What is the most effective way to relay this information to uh, these uh, school children? And does the age of the school children at the time this information is relayed to them play any sort of factor? So it has partnered with the Department of Education and the Department of Health for, for, for a very long time. We have a program called Soul Buddies Clubs, and we have a study that has shown that uh, children, especially girls, who went through the Soul Buddies program at primary schools, because it caters for children from the age of 8 to 14, those children, the girls, there's a study, a review that was done on the program that shows that when they become young adults, they are most likely to delay their sexual debut because they have information around what happens when you engage in sexual activities at an early age in your life. It has shown that most of them were able to vent themselves from getting infected by the HIV virus. And a lot of them will tell you that they learned during that time how to 
prevent pregnancies and they know about condoms. Even if at that age they are not exposed to really how to use it, but they know the ways to prevent themselves from mistake. And it also helps them to stay in school, at least until metric, because we believe that when children are in school, when there are interventions in school, where the Department of Education partners with organizations like Soul City and others, there is more information for, for the children and they are able to make informed choices even as they grow up in their adult life. So we need programs like Soul City. The unfortunate part is that there is no sufficient you know, funding for such uh, programs and in, in some cases we are forced to move out of schools because there is no funding and then all work in very small spaces because there is just not enough funding and we believe that Money must be found to roll out programs like this throughout the country so that we deal with this issue, you know, decisively. Indeed. And then to round off our discussion, Budenpo, as far as everything that we have experienced over the almost two years that this pandemic has been a part of our lives, can you talk me through the various lessons that the Soul City Institute has learned and begun to incorporate in the work that they do looking forward into a possible post-COVID-19 future? You know, we all observed how when the pandemic started and People were now going to clinics uh, and different health facilities. Other services, like your normal services at clinics, were stopped because the staff in clinics were overwhelmed with, you know, dealing with people who come into clinics showing symptoms of COVID. And in that manner, a lot of other services were halted. So what one could say we have learned out of this is that all time, our clinics must be ready for any eventuality because you would never know when another pandemic will show up. Adequate training of staff in, in our clinics, but also dealing with attitudes of our health service providers who, in many cases, treat young people, especially young women, because they are the ones who go to clinics more than often. They come out of clinics complaining about the bad attitude of health workers, how they were asked, you know, silly questions. And sometimes when they even go for HIV testing, some of them will say there is no confidentiality because I live in this small village. And when I go there and I test positive, sometimes even if I test negative, soon my parents or some of my relatives and even friends would know that I had gone for an HIV test. And now they start shying away from going to clinics to get HIV testing because once young people know their status, once young people are educated enough on preventing pregnancies through contraceptives and other methods like using condoms and all that, it makes it easy for them to deal with uh, becoming pregnant and making sure that they continue to live a normal life as children because they are children and they should be allowed to be children. But also one thing that say it's a good, a big lesson is that there is a lot of inequality in this country. And the pandemic came and it exposed it. So our government must work harder to make sure that inequality and health equity is attained by everyone. Our rural areas, our townships, or informal settlements, there are issues around people accessing health care services easily. And the pandemic showed that we were not ready. And I'm wondering if we will be ready. We are just hoping that the government is looking at this now. And they are already working on what happens post-COVID. 
How do we make sure that the gaps that we observed and we, we saw are closed so that we don't then start again at zero after the pandemic and wait for something else to happen and we are caught off guard? So we're hoping that the government is watching and they're doing something and they will really be ready going forward and change some of these things that we have seen because our young women and girls are at risk and this country needs everyone. Indeed, we've just been in conversation with the cluster manager for the Seoul City Institute, Mr. Mpo Mukhapi, here on the COVID report, helping us talk through the issue that still hovers around the development of our society as it pertains to the recent unfortunate increase in child pregnancies and HIV infections across the board in South Africa, particularly in the middle of our efforts to combat and combat a global pandemic. Talking through the ways in which this pandemic has exposed the continuing presence of this issue and the most effective ways to address it once and for all. Budenpo, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for the insight that you've given us into this matter. I sincerely hope that things turn out for the better in this department. And uh, one more time, thank you so much for joining us on the COVID report. Thank you very much. This podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vids. By Voice of Vids. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1. Or stream by www.vafm.co.za.